Hi everyone, welcome to what is kind of an episode of Roar Lions Roar. Of course, I am Bill DeFilpa with Roar Lions Roar, and we are uh, talking about Penn State against Ohio State this week, because really there's not much else we uh, could talk about right now. And in order to do that in a way that's a little bit different from how we usually do it, where it's us sitting on here yammering about uh, things from a purely Penn State perspective, we decided to take advantage of the fact that I live in Columbus, Ohio, and go out and get <laughs> a favorite son of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Columbus, Ohio, Manhattan, Argentina. He's a, he's a man of the world. Parts His name unknown. Is, parts <laughs> uh, parts on Anthony Bourdain out here. Uh, it is Ryan Donnelly. Ryan, what's going on? Not too much, man. Not too much. Just enjoying life. Uh, I am getting nervous for this game, as I'm sure you are, mm. too, to a certain level. Uh, kind of uh, get letting... I mean, I get nervous for every game. It's kind of just the okay. way I am. Um, <laughs> but especially this one. Like you, you mentioned, I grew up in Pennsylvania. Uh, definitely a big a big piece of this for me is just kind of my familiarity with, um, you know, with a lot of friends who went to Penn State. And there's always a little extra juice this week. I have a buddy of mine that's a Penn State uh, band alum, like your co-host, who... Uh, who we always do an annual call before the game and talk a little trash first, then kind of get into our actual thoughts. And I'm excited for that. We do it every Saturday morning before the game. So uh, I'm good, man. I'm getting juiced up for this one. I feel excited. Yeah, Ryan uh, comes from the website, Meet at Midfield. Uh, he is the co-host. Uh, if you are listening on the High Street Freaks pod, you know this, but he is the co-host of the podcast High Street Freaks, which gets a look into Ohio State football. And we're going to be doing a little bit of a look into Ohio State football here, along with a little bit of a look into Penn State football. But, Ryan, I want to start by kind of talking about this game, talking about this game broadly. As someone who I, – I, I think you've probably seen this as someone who talks to a lot of Penn State fans. But – I don't think Penn State fans have felt this way going into a game against Ohio State probably since 2017, which was obviously JT Barrett dragging them to a last-minute win in the horseshoe. What is your kind of read on this from kind of a big-picture perspective? As someone with more of a Buckeye view of this, do you tend to agree with that sentiment that like this Penn State team is cut from a different cloth than past ones, or do you think... You know, there are, uh, whether it's a structural thing, whether it's a spiritual deep within their bones thing, or whether it's a football thing, do you think that's not necessarily the case? No, I do think it feels different. Um, I, I think, ironically, I mean, I know this kind of the talk in this season came in, uh, uh, kind of mentioning, you know, the idea of Drew Aller and how he would change this team. And um, I think this is not a diss on him because he's been perfectly fine, but I don't think he really has changed the nature of the Penn State offense. What I think has changed. Uh, is just how fantastic this defense is, right? I think it's probably the best defense in the country uh, if I had to pick. Mm. I mean, I put it up there. Uh, certainly Michigan's is in the conversation. I think that Alabama's and Utah's and a couple others have a right to that claim as well. Um, but if you had to pick you know, dollars for dimes, for me, I would give Penn State the best defense in the country. And I think the fact they also don't really have any weaknesses. I, I, I was doing um, – I do this on our podcast as well, so I won't do the full – rundown on, on here. I don't want to spare everyone who's already heard it, but I, I did a statistical breakdown of just about every major defensive stat I could think of um, on on defense. And Penn State is in the top three in almost all of them uh, and the top ten in a few others. And, and really it's just solid across the board. Um, everything. I do. There's not, it's not like a defense that's like, you know, it's an elite pass unit, but it could be a little bit leaky on rushing success rate or something. They're good at everything. They are, they are really good at everything across the board. Personnel perspective, a lot of NFL guys, Scheme perspective, I think Manny's been fantastic. 
Uh, I'm a big Terry Smith guy as well. I know he doesn't you know, quite run the defense, but he was my high school's head coach when I was in high school. I'm a gateway guy, so I like Terry a lot. And, and I've just been very impressed with what Penn State's put in the field so far, even if the level of competition on offense has not been anything to write home about. <laughs> yeah, and, and we'll certainly get to all that stuff, but I, it's fascinating to me because I think that it's very easy for fans of a team to go into a game feeling optimistic. Like, that's just, there are a lot of fans who that's just kind of their, just the nature of it. But one thing that I think is so special about this game, and it says, I, I think more about, like, I think Ohio State is certainly a playoff caliber team. Like, I, I you know, spoil, spoiler alert, I'm going to pick them to win this football game. But, like, I think it says a lot about Penn State that from January, people were identifying this. They were saying there were three games that were going to matter in the Big Ten for all intents and purposes. Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan. And it's never quite that simple. But we are a month and a half into the season. We've started to separate the wheat from the chaff. And you and I were saying earlier, we don't want to give too much credit to our pal Ari Wasserman, who takes more of the, um, the, the regular season every week as a playoff thing. But this would, really does feel like the atmosphere, the stakes, all that, like we are witnessing a college football playoff round of 16 quarterfinal game, whatever you want to say about that. And obviously that says a lot about Penn State. Just broadly, Ryan, when you think of this Ohio State team, what has been kind of your vibe on them this season. I know the the High Street Freaks listeners are going to know your thoughts on them already. People who follow you on Twitter will obviously know your thoughts already. Uh, going <laughs> you to the can't word, avoid them. <laughs> yes, going to how, uh, the word spiritual that I said a little bit earlier about why Penn State might not, why you might think this Penn State team might not be a little bit different. Uh, whether it's personnel, whether it's spiritual, whatever, how do you feel about this Ohio State team, which is 6-0 and up to this point in the season? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I, I think that Ohio State, to me, it feels like a team that we had some of the flaws pegged coming into the season, right? A lot of new parts of the offensive line, a new quarterback um, that really were, I think, major areas of concern for this team that have manifested on that side of the football. I think that the O-line is just average, right? They haven't, they've haven't. they done okay, I think, in pass pro the run blocking to me is fairly abysmal, although they did have a lot of improvement with some change in scheme last week, which I'm sure we can talk about as we get further into this. Um, and, but I think like the thing is there are a lot of concerns on the defensive side of the football that have been totally totally soothed for me. Like I really yeah. think Ohio State's defense has been fantastic. I think they're not quite at the level of some of those elite teams that I mentioned, in part because they don't get after the quarterback in an elite way. Um, and they also just play a style of football that's a little bit intentionally bend but don't break, which I think does not lend itself to looking like a nasty defense that takes the ball away from you. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think that based on the limitations of offense have not yet been overcome compared to what we saw coming into the season, and I am worried about some of the youth and inexperience and, and a few positions, which sounds bizarre to say for Ohio State, like lack of talent at those tackle spots um, has been a big concern. But on the other hand, on the other side of the football, I, I do feel fairly great about how Ohio State's defense has come together and, you know, I think that's something that has a lot of encouragement uh, in a different way than what we saw from early returns on Jim Knowles' defense last year, right? No explosive plays mm -hmm. allowed in the back end. They're not really doing that. They're keeping the football in front of them. They're tackling well. 
uh, they're being assignment sound, they're, they're doing what they have to do to get teams off the field, to hold in the red zone, and to win games. And it's been a defense-driven football team, which is a little bit bizarre um, for an Ohio State football team. But this offense has just been somewhere between above average and good. It's not great or elite like we come to expect from Ryan Day teams, um, which is certainly a changeup and a bit bizarre. Yeah, so let's, let's talk vibes. Let's talk vibes on both sides of this. Broadly, what are the vibes where you could define this however you want um, in, what you've, <laughs> in what you've like seen from Ohio State's coaches and players in media stuff, uh, among fans, among uh, folks on message boards? Like, just what are they, as we zoom into this week, what are the vibes this week? The vibes this week are maybe a little harder to pin down because they're being very secretive. The vibes broadly on the season, I think they're not having much fun. Mm. <laughs> I think they feel a bit attacked from the national media. Obviously, we all saw Ryan Day's fairly unhinged rant about Lou Holtz uh, after the Notre Dame game. Uh, but in general, even on the sideline, in a 41-7 win at Purdue last week, I mean, he was tearing into... Uh, running backs coach Tony Elford and offensive lineman Josh Simmons and quarterback Kyle McCord after a delay of game penalty and after a couple of missed assignments, like just going off on them. And he's been pretty defensive in press conferences. Like I think Ryan Day has gotten a lot of critiques from Ohio State fans because the standards we expect. I am certainly on the crazier end of that. Uh, I am one of the people that thinks Ryan Day is probably not quite up to the task, as our listeners know. Uh, and I'm probably putting it gently for your audience. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think that I don't really trust Ryan Day, and I think some of the fan base is coming around to that feeling as well, or at least certainly was early in the season as they were kind of farting around with Indiana and Youngstown State and play. it kind of got bailed out against Notre Dame. Um, <laughs> they got bailed out against Notre Dame, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. I've got some mixed feelings there too, but we'll, 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 I'm sure we'll get into it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the vibes this week are a level of, just to be frank, like, hey, our guy might be kind of an idiot, but James Franklin's worse, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> if we're being honest. You know, I think people can point to the fact that James Franklin has a 1-11 record on the road at Penn State against ranked football teams, um, which is, is kind of nuts, but uh, it's true. And not just, like, top 10 teams, but ranked teams overall. Um, they have not really performed well on the road. I think that loves, lends a level of comfort. But it's also a question of, hey, do we have the offense to actually pull away from Penn State in this game, um, you know, given how great their defense is? And if we don't, can one bad special teams play? Can one Penn State turnover, uh, you know, for them forcing a turnover, rather, can that swing the football game? Because our special teams are horrible, right? And, and I think your defense is a ball-hawking defense. Um, I think that's something I'm curious to watch and kind of see that play out because there's a level of – not trusting this team in high leverage moments, right? They just haven't done it. That you know, Ryan Day is one in five against top five teams in his career at Ohio State. Um, he the the short yardage stuff still remains a problem. Uh, some key touchdowns. They don't know if you quite trust him to go get that and actually finish drives when the pressure's on. They just have folded a couple of times mentally against Michigan, and you know, gave a ten point lead away in the fourth quarter against Georgia in the playoff. And I think games like that kind of lead to a question of, hey, do we actually have the guys who can? You know, maybe it sounds like two football guy, but can they actually nut up and win a game? Yeah. <laughs> and it's tight like that against a big team. So I think uh, some nerves, but also s- some nerves about this particular team, this particular staff, but also some confidence. And again, I feel like I'm talking trash here, and I'm not trying to, but just knowing that James Franklin's in their sideline and the way he handles big games is probably even worse. 
it, it, it's a fascinating it, it it's fascinating to me because like in a way this is the perfect game for Ohio State because you're going to learn probably more about Ryan Day as a football coach from this game than you have in any other day. And I'm just saying this as someone who lives behind enemy lines, who has, you know, been around uh, Buckeyes fans for years. Like, Day has always kind of been able to, ins- I-, I feel, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like Day has always been able to insulate himself from too terribly much criticism because Ohio State always makes the playoffs. The last couple of years, yeah, they've lost to Michigan which obviously is a huge deal, but I think kind of nationally, broadly, uh, he's not gotten too terribly much criticism because it's Michigan. People know how good these Michigan teams are. They know they're a team that has national championship abilities, but he's always been able to take care of business against everybody else. And it's just, it's an interesting thought on my end that Ryan Day could lose a football game to a team that isn't either Michigan or someone who's going to win the national championship because the offense isn't good enough. It, like, it's I, crazy. I think you yeah. agree with me. If Ohio State loses this game, it is probably because their offense is not good enough. Yeah, yeah. I think there's uh, – I, I would say there's a couple things I'm worried about, um, but I think that's probably the biggest one is that Ohio right. State's offense can't hit an explosive. I think Ohio State probably needs to hit an explosive in this game to win just knowing how good Penn State is getting off the field. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I guess I'm uh, – do you want me to trash your special teams coordinator now or later? When's that <laughs> <be> like, uh... <laughs> oh, boy. wait. Just – if you are a Penn State person listening to this, just wait until you hear the feelings that a grown-ass man is capable of having for his college football team's special teams coordinator. Please go oh. ahead. Yeah. Listen, Ohio State, for Penn State fans, Ohio State fans know this one by their heart. They can probably predict what I'm going to say word by word. Ohio State is a special teams coordinator. As you guys know, there are 10 countable assistants on a, spe- on a college football team, right? You can have 10 on-field assistants. Mm-hmm. Um, there is – I looked up the stats on this. I can pull them up here. Of the 50 teams that have had a top 10 finish since that role was instituted to allow you that many coaches, um, the only teams – that have four or fewer coaches on one side of the ball, meaning the 10, the 10 assistants plus the head coach, um, you know, what side of the ball are those guys dedicated to? Ohio State has five assistants on offense, one on just special teams, uh, and four on defense. Ryan Day obviously is on the offense. They are Ohio State has two teams made the top 10 with that lineup, 2021 and 2022. The only other team to ever make a top 10 finish that alignment is 2018 Texas with Tom Herman. Uh, no one else does it. It's moronic. It's moronic even if you had a good special teams coordinator. However, Ohio State has one of the worst in the country. They hired a guy who was a who who came to them after his only previous FBS job was being an interim offensive coordinator for Texas State. Was good. one of the worst offenses in the country. Had never coached special teams. Then got hired at Capital, which is a D three school in Columbus, <laughs> where he was working at before coming before coming to Ohio State as a quality control coach. Where somehow they said his terminology, the understanding of the language of the football team, was so great they just had to hire him as special teams coach. Where he has been abjectly horrible. Ohio State has had key special teams errors in every major game. Like they had. Uh, that massive messed up fake punt um, against against Michigan right last season. Um, they had a, a couple of bad plays calling that stuff. They had the missed field goal against Georgia, which was not entirely his fault, but the holder had a major error on that one as well. They've gotten leaping over the shield penalties. They've gotten illegal formation penalties. Uh, two weeks ago against Maryland, 
their long snapper snapped the ball into the turf, and we ended up with an accidental fake run play to the up back, who's the backup linebacker on defense because the snap was so bad. Uh, they currently rank 126th in big punt returns, which are defined as 20 plus yards allowed. Well, Penn State is sixth in the country and produced that, or tied for six rather. Uh, they're 75th in net punt yardage. They had a holding penalty on a fair catch. How do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> it is one of the most poorly coached special teams groups I've ever seen at any level of football. And not only is this guy bad and had been bad the previous two years, which we already knew, he's also a non-recruiter and does not factor on that aspect of the team. He's also messing up their staff line by making sure they don't have enough defensive coaches. And we've obviously seen how bad their defense is in key moments in previous years uh, against Michigan, against Georgia, against Alabama, against all these big time teams um, against Oregon. It's been terrible. Uh, you know, there's also the fact that this guy just sucks. He's just bad at the job. And they not only did they, you know, choose to retain him, they gave him a raise in the offseason. Sure. The guy's making like three quarters of a million dollars to be a bad special teams coach after he was a D three coach before coming to Columbus before coming to Ohio State. There it's just one of the most singularly singularly insane staff hires and retainments I have ever seen in college football. Uh, I freak out over this stuff because to me, college football coaches are generally so stupid uh like the way they hire coaches the way they build staffs is criminally bad and this is one of the worst examples i've ever seen uh it's embarrassing that he's coaching at ohio state his name is parker fleming he is not the statistics guy parker fleming at stats of war who is great a buddy of ours but he is a moron parker fleming who is employed in columbus ohio I, I I don't know how to follow that up, uh, but anything other than saying that this is a this is a re- that's a really fun thing to bring up after Penn State had a player return two punts for a touchdown. Uh, you're telling Big me, Saquon Hardy, who I, I covered when he was in high school. I was going to say to cover, he's a gateway uh, gateway legend, right? Uh, Penn Hills kid, but yeah, I covered him when he was in high school. I was uh, covering recruiting for Pitt's rival site uh, part time at, at the time, and. Uh, yeah, Daquan Hardy was a was a speedster for them. He's also he's been pretty good on on defense too. Right? He has two picks this year, doesn't he? He's um, he's basically their slot cornerback. So they they Ohio State yeah. tends to put Ekbuka in the slot, correct? Yeah, normally yes, they play him a lot there. They'll play Xavier Johnson there when yeah. when uh, X goes uh, whenever uh, Emeka goes outside. They've also gotten some pretty interesting slot reps with Marvin Harrison Jr. Actually, he's played out of there, um, which has been interesting to see. Yeah, they play a few guys, and they kind of they kind of rotate almost all of their key receivers okay. except for Julian Fleming through the slot. Um, but the majority of them, I would say, are a Mecca, yeah. uh, who, you know, they're being pretty coy about. I have heard leanings that he will likely not play in okay. this game. I, you said the, the two words that terrify me the most in this game, and they are Julian and Fleming. Uh, as I lay, <laughs> as I laid out on our pod, like if Ohio State has the ball with a chance to win with 90 seconds left, he is scoring the touch. Like there is oh, no man. doubt in my mind it is going to be Julian Fleming. Uh, and obviously, if you are a longtime uh, Penn State football fan, knows recruiting that sort of thing, you understand why Julian Fleming is going to be the person who does that. But we'll get to that side of the ball in a bit. I want to talk about. I want to start by talking about Penn State's offense against Ohio State's defense, Ryan and. When I watched this Ohio State defense, there were really interesting unit to me because how do I want to say? It? Like they had there are times where it just kind of feels like it's a little bit blah for them and then Tyreek Williams does something that 
you know, he, he's getting tackling someone in the backfield. Uh, JTT, he'll make one or two big plays a game, but he is capable of just making these, like, huge splash plays yeah. on defense. He, uh, a guy like... You guys Lathan, saw it last year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lathan Ransom, uh, like, he's not someone who I think is going out there and making game-breaking plays all the time, but, like, he just... Ohio State has a few guys on defense who you could just tell they really, really care, and I think Ransom and Tommy Eichenberg are the two who just always seem to bring it. But tell me if I'm wrong. Like, is What, what are your, your kind of general thoughts on personnel scheme, whatever you want to say with this Ohio State defense? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, to me, Tyleek Williams has been Ohio State's best defensive player all season. Mm-hmm. Um, he has been fantastic. Uh, the guy you didn't name there that I think has been really great, who was kind of just an average player last year but has really stepped up, is Denzel Burke mm-hmm. um, at corner. He has been really good for them. He also uh, is in concussion protocol, and it's unclear if he's going to play on Saturday as well. Uh, could be a key loss for them. Um, JT has been great. Uh, Mike Hall, their other defensive tackle, is a really impressive player who has not done quite as much this year as perhaps we expected. But I think, you know, Net-Net is one of the best defensive tackles in the country and a guy who seems to make key plays when it counts. He is just a terror trying to end that interior pass rush. Uh, the pairing of him and Tyleek is very impressive. Um, you know, at linebacker, yeah, Tommy has kind of taken a step back this year, which has mm-hmm. been a little bit bizarre. I think that Ohio State, I don't know how far in the weeds it me to get, but I think basically some of Ohio State's defensive linemen, uh, there's not really a great marriage between defensive line scheme and overall defensive scheme, which has led to some of their defensive linemen freelancing a little bit and not controlling their gap the way they're supposed to, which has led to linebackers not fitting their gap correctly, or when they go to fit their gap, they are running into the back of their defensive tackle because he's out of position, um, which has been pretty frustrating, I think. And Tommy has suffered from that. They also look a little slow to react. But linebacker play has been kind of a concern for Ohio State to me. If there's any weakness in the defense, it's that part of it. The safety play has been awesome. You hit on Lathan Ransom. Um, Sonny Styles is a freak. God he's almighty. an 18-year-old sophomore. Yeah, I, I think I told you this. I went to one of his high school games. It was Picker it was Pick Central where he went to high school against Newark. And for people who don't know, Newark is like one of the worst football programs around here. Sunny Sunny yeah. Styles played at maybe two percent of his physical capacity and you could just you, tell. You, by the way, really quick, you did say it wrong. It's Nurk. You gotta say that it's Nurk. Nurk. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you, I, they have I, the most bizarre accent. No, know? I. That, that's that's one. My people, my my family is from Newark, New Jersey. I would be disowned if I called it Nurk. Uh, but yeah, like you, he, you could just tell that when he's on the field, even on an Ohio State defense that has a bunch of physically imposing guys, he just looks different out there. He's different, man. The speed, the way he is as a pass. They have not used him a ton as a pass rusher. We've seen flashes of it here and there. And I wonder if they may not cook it up a little bit for Penn State. Um, we should. Well, I think we'll get into defensive scheme probably as we go forward here. I think Ohio State has played very bend but don't break, but some of the looks they're starting to show little by little makes me indicate. It makes me think they may go a little more aggressive against Penn State just because of the way the way Penn State plays offense. As we know, they don't really hit explosives at all this year. Mm-hmm. I think they have one play of twenty plus yards in the season or something like that, or, or maybe it's a little. It's more than that, but they're tied for one hundred twenty sixth in explosives in the year. Um, you know, I think you're probably probably should go a little more aggressive and don't play the defense they want to play, uh, which is bend but don't break. Penn State's perfectly happy to play that all day. It's kind of what they do. Um, so I wonder if you may see Sunny Styles blitzing a little bit more. And also Josh Proctor, who's a player I've dogged quite a bit in his sixth year, has had an absolute renaissance. He's been great for them at deep safety. It's been very bizarre to watch because he's he, he was a former top 100 player, but he was outright bad the last three or four years at Ohio State. Um, and kind of came out of nowhere very good this season. 
Um, the player that I'm very intrigued to watch, I don't think we hear a ton of Ohio State coverage or blogs talking about, if Denzel Burke cannot go, um, the top two corners, the guys who played uh, all season besides Burke, are uh, Davison Abinosin and Jordan Hancock. Uh, Abinosin's generally been their field corner, and Hancock has been, sorry, rather their boundary corner, and Hancock's been their slot corner. Uh, Jermaine Matthews, a true freshman, top 100 player out of Cincinnati, who has been absolutely electric in the snaps he's played. Um, he had a pick six earlier in the year. Uh, the kid uh, is a demon on special teams. Like, just looks like the next great one at corner for Ohio State and is pretty clearly already the fourth corner. Um, I would not be shocked at all if he plays a lot of snaps if Burke cannot go. And I'm curious to watch because I think that kid is one of the most instinctive players a corner I've ever seen. I don't think he's much of a step down from a guy who might be an all-Big Ten corner. Yeah, I mean, I, so, so let's talk about one thing that I find really interesting about this Ohio State defense. And that it's, it's something that you did hit the nail on the head on. Like, they're allowing 1.2 touchdowns a game. They're allowing 3.9 yards per play, 3.2 yards per rush, completion percentage 51.5, opponent passer rating 96.1. Like, top two, three in the nation, all those. Them and Penn State are tied for first nationally, 4.9 yards per attempt. But there is one thing that, as someone who wants Penn State to win this game, gives me optimism. <laughs> And that is when I look at Ohio State's sack percentage, their ability to get to the quarterback. 104th nationally, they're, they're sacking quarterbacks 4.73% of the time, one out of every 20 dropbacks or so. What's been up there, and is that something that you think Penn State is going to or has the capability to punish them for in this? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, like you said, it's their their sack percentage is 104th in the country, and, and Penn State's been pretty good at that. Right, I think they have the ninth lowest sack percentage allowed right now this season. Um, and Ohio State also, just in negative plays broadly, is 85th in the country in tackles for loss per game. They're not really creating many negative plays at all. They're kind of keeping things in front of them and getting, you know, just allowing small plays here and there, but not creating havoc or negatives. Um they have sat back a lot on defense. They are playing a lot of, like, just rush four, you know, drop into coverage, don't blitz like crazy. They're not blitzing very much at all, um, which is pretty antithetical to the way Jim Knowles coached at Oklahoma State mm-hmm. and the way he coached last season for Ohio State. Um, I don't love it, frankly. I, I don't think it's – I think it's fine when you play a lot of the teams on Ohio State's schedule, but when you play a Penn State or a Michigan, I do think you have to kind of take some risks to get some negative plays. Uh, and especially against a Penn State team that, in my opinion, probably cannot punish you by going downfield. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have to try for a sack because, like you said, Penn State doesn't, you know, Ohio State doesn't really get sacks, and Penn State doesn't give them up very often, um, which <laughs> is a problem, right? If you can't create negative plays and you can't get your opponent behind schedule because you're also not creating tackles for a loss, and they're not that great on stuff rate, they're not really stopping opponents at the line of scrimmage either and, like, stopping them for a yard or something, Um you're kind of just letting your, your opponent stay on schedule all game in March down the field and hope you get a red zone stop. And to their credit, they've been very good in the red zone. But that's still a concern to me is if you cannot create those ideal opportunities to get after the passer, what are you going to do, right? And, and I think that's a concerning point. So I do think it's something Penn State could punish them for. Um, not in the sense of, like, 
hey, Ohio State's going to blitz and can't get home. Penn State's going to hit a big play. But more of the idea of Ohio State won't blitz and will kind of let you just keep running your offense, and Penn State will hold the ball for you know, a 13-play, seven-and-a-half-minute drive. Yeah, and one, one thing that I think is so interesting about this game is that I, I think probably the most important thing that Penn State can do here is keep Ohio State's offense on the sideline, not let them get into any sort of a rhythm. I mean, I, I, I think that one mm-hmm. thing that has stuck out to me about Kyle McCord is he has really – he's been getting better at ha- elongating his highs, but there are times when he, you could just tell he's not – He's not quite on Stroud's level. He's not quite on a Justin Fields level, that sort of thing. So I, when you look at the other side of the football, what I think Penn State inherently needs to do here, they need to be happy, and this is something they've been good at this year, they need to be happy about saying, if we do four, five, six yards of play, if we're you know grinding, on, grinding it out on the ground, if Drew is kind of taking what they're giving him because they're so focused on preventing big plays, which it's a, it's something that I'm really curious about Ryan, because I don't think Ohio state inherently has to try and keep Penn state from breaking big plays because I don't necessarily think this is even how Penn state calls games. I just think drew Aller is so wired to not make backbreaking mistakes that he's not going to, take those big shots down the field if he can live to fight another day by dumping the ball off to Theo Johnson, to Nick Singleton, to Katron Allen, and getting... And beyond that, like, do they even have the receivers to hit those plays downfield if they wanted to? I And I think the answer is probably not. Well, it's, yeah. a, it, it's an interesting question because we saw against West Virginia, there were some... They looked like a team that could throw the football down the field. And uh, Tom Fornelli had these stats somewhere uh but against west virginia penn state was going aller through for 11.2 yards per attempt you look at yeah he had that big one to clifford right i think i recall on the sideline yeah that, no the clifford one was against illinois uh ah, okay keandre yeah. lambert smith had a couple of big gains in that one malik mclean a florida state transfer had one for 25 like they had some explosives in that and then they uh his number two receiver harrison wallace ends up picking up an injury that really threw off the passing game a bit, and they they seemed a lot happier to just kind of dink, dunk, little, 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 little. And it, it was a stat that, again, Tom Fornelli had, but last week was, the mo- in terms of air yards, the most hour through down the field since the West Virginia game, and that coincided with the game where Harrison Wall was 100% back in the wide receiver rotation. He was able to play a starter share of snaps. He had a, mm-hmm. he had a, 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 a decent game there. And I think it's tough because I don't know how much, and we're going to learn pretty quickly, I think. I don't know how much of Penn State not looking for big plays in the passing game has been, you know, Delaware. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Delaware, we could just fart our way through that football game. It doesn't matter. Illinois... Uh, Johnny Newton kind of just blew some stuff up at the line of scrimmage in first road game. We don't want Drew turning the ball over Iowa. We don't want what Drew a player, by the way. My God, he is ridiculous, man. <laughs> like when I when they when they do their All American teams this year, and by they I mean anyone. He needs to be all. Like, he is just a, a marvel. Yep. Iowa, Drew turns the ball over. That's ba- like 
Iowa can't do anything unless we let them do something. So just don't turn the ball over. Northwestern, whatever. And then UMass, UMass is a team that's susceptible to those. So maybe they take a couple more of the shots. But do you see a path? Unless Penn State is suddenly able to start hitting those big plays, unless they start getting a few runs of, you know, runs of 15, so some. 15 plus yards, a few, um, a few of those big passing plays. Do you think Penn State can just dink and dunk its way down the field against this Ohio State defense? Because I, ha- I have some questions about that. I actually think it can. I, I do mm. think they're capable of doing that. I think they can um, get to the red zone. My question is just, can they convert there? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Penn State at this point uh, on offense is is uh, what 23. Or, no, sorry, that's their down conversion percentage. They're 18th in red zone scoring percentage, which is fairly good. Um, Ohio State's defense, on the other hand, uh, is it's tied for 14th in red zone attempts allowed, tied for 6th in red zone scoring percentage, 8th in red zone scores per game. It, I think Penn State is a competent red zone offense, but not a very good one with much interesting design, and Ohio State's been very good there, and I think Ohio State's capable of holding Penn State to field goals, but I do think Penn State will be able to get to the red zone a little more often than Ohio State would like. The question is, is Franklin going to be aggressive and go for touchdowns? Um, will he settle for field goals? I'm very curious to see that play out because I do think that Penn State can take and dunk the ball down the field. Um, I think Ohio State has some problems with that. I mentioned the kind of uh, running game fit questions where they, they don't really allow big explosive runs, but they do allow way too many runs of six, seven, eight yards, right? That they, they get into mm-hmm. the second level by because of a, a missed assignment. Um, which is frustrating to watch, obviously, you're an Ohio State fan. Notre Dame did that to quite some success, uh, especially in the second half. Um, that's a concerning point for Ohio State, and, and you know I think that Penn State's O-line is not what Notre Dame's O-line was, but it's not shabby either, right? It's not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that one of these teams will need to hit an explosive quick score play whether that means Ohio State's offense hit a big one on Penn State, if Penn State's offense could produce one, which I, I have a lot of questions about and think it's probably not likely, or if Penn State's special teams or defense could get a score or get you into the red zone just on a quick one, right? Like, I think that's something that almost is a necessary precondition for the win for either team. Um, I, I think it's going to be a pretty tight game throughout, and both of these teams should be able to. I don't know that I think Ohio State moves the ball as consistently as Penn State does, um, but mm. I think that Ohio State's a more potent offense. Like I, I think that you may see Penn State lead this game in first downs in Ohio State, but likely will not lead it in total yardage um, or in like red zone efficiency. Or I don't even know if points produced. Like, I think Ohio State's offense may score more than Penn State's offense. The question is, does Penn State get any points for its defense or special teams? Yeah, I, I think that... When Penn State gets down into the red zone, and I, I you know, I, I do think you're right. I think Ohio State, by nature of how they play, are going to be really happy. They're going to be happy to let Penn State get down there. But when Penn State gets down there, I think they've really, one thing that we've seen out of how James Frank, whether it's James Franklin telling Mike Hears to call games like this, how Mike Hears is calling games, they really seem like they think they can push the other team around. And hasn't always worked for them this year. Um, there have been times where they've gotten pushed in a bit. They got a really, really big bit of news uh, today when Franklin said 
that starting left guard uh, J.B. Nelson, who went out uh, went out of the Northwestern game with an injury, did not return, did not play against UMass. He was a full participant in practice today. Uh, is going to be able to play at left guard next to Olu Fashana, which is, I think, a big boost uh, for Penn State in the trenches. But I, I don't know. Like, I, I just think that one thing I think you can clearly say, Ryan, is that Jim Knowles, I think, is an excellent defensive coordinator. I think he's a great, he's yeah. good at knowing what he has to do and teaching it and implementing it, doing all that. And I think when he looks at this Penn State team, do, do you think that Knowles is going to try and just do things, do things like he always does? Or do you think he's going to say... Drew Allard, this is your first game in this environment, son. We don't know if you have the cholesterol for it. We're going to sell out <laughs> against the run. It's all about whether or not you can beat us. I will certainly say I am hoping for that game plan. Okay. That is something I would like to see Ohio State implement because it makes sense to me. The interesting part here is I don't think the way Ohio State has played defense this season in terms of its desire to be bent, to bend but don't break is actually from Jim Knowles. Like my mm. feeling from what I've heard is more of a directive from Ryan Day after the way they got burnt deep against Michigan last year mm. multiple times. Um, and it sounds crazy to say this in a game where you lose 45-23 and collapse in the second half, but I think to a large extent, Ohio State's game plan against Michigan worked schematically it just had horrible defensive backs like Cam Martinez, who thankfully has been banished to the abyss this season, um, falling down in coverage, like simply falling down. Tanner McAllister, Tanner McAllister rather, fell down in coverage last year. Yeah. I think that that aggressive game plan was working for Ohio State, and Ryan Day went away from it because of results and not process, and has dictated to Knowles to play a more passive scheme. Um, also, there is some discord between uh, Jim Knowles and Larry Johnson, our defensive line coach, you guys are very familiar with. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, Larry is a pure four down front guy who wants to, you know, he had a feud with Jim Knowles about Jim Knowles' jack position, which he implemented at Oklahoma State to great effect and to a lesser extent at Duke, where he wants to have essentially a stand up defensive lineman or line, whatever you call him, some kind of edge rusher who is not purely a pass rushing play, but also is used to equate numbers to the running game moves around the formation. It's kind of a mint front in the way that you see from Bama or Georgia to great success. He wants to implement that, and Larry Larry Johnson has outright refused to do so and has like prohibited his players from being used for it. And it's very bizarre power struggle uh, that Ryan Day has somehow not mediated at all and allowed to continue on. And I think that as a result of that and that kind of discord between Knowles and Johnson, and even to a certain extent between Knowles and Day, that the defensive scheme and style is being more dictated from the top than it is being coached by Knowles. Although he's doing a great job executing it because of his ability as a teacher and, you know, um, and his scheme as a technician, I think that's why they've been so successful. And I would love to see them run a more aggressive play against a more aggressive style against Penn state. I don't know if he's allowed to, which sounds crazy to say, I hope in this game that they come to the same conclusion that you and I have, uh, which is that yeah. that is what Ohio State should be doing against Penn State, take advantage of it and dare them to beat you because I don't think that they can, but I wonder if Day is just gun-shy after the way Michigan's offense last year, who frankly was not able to do that all year against anybody else and should not have done it against Ohio State but did. I wonder if he still has those ghosts in his head, that is those fears of that, and won't allow him to change it up. 
Um, they've run more split safety coverage for the same reason this year, I think. Um, but I, I do think that's something Ohio State should be pursuing. And it makes a lot of sense to me. Based on the evidence I've seen on the field, I don't know if they're willing to do that. Yeah, I mean, J.J. McCarthy basically closed his eyes, hooked up two footballs, and they led God to touchdown. It, like it's, <laughs> like, I, we, we got our asses kicked by Michigan. Like I, I, I know, yeah. it, I know how bad that can feel. But like, it, it, it's wild because everything about this game screams that drew out. Ohio State should make Drew Auer the main character in this football game, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. But part of the reason I don't think they will is because I think Day is such a like thin-skinned guy that if oh my God, that man. if the kid from Medina, who he didn't offer until he got played by Quinn Ewers and then was told thanks but no thanks, goes in there and lights it up on him. Like I just don't think he would be able to handle. Like it's total conspiracy. I agree. Theory. But yeah, there's that. Uh, do you know it's not a conspiracy theory though, Ryan? <laughs> is it the lovely apparel of homefield apparel? That is. Well, I, I'm sure there are conspiracy theories somewhere uh, within that homefield apparel uh, office yeah. pertaining to whether or not Michael Penix scored against Penn State in the 2020 football season. Uh, they did. He did. I, I disagree. <laughs> uh, but yes, homefield apparel, longtime sponsor uh, of both. Of our pods, the fine folks over at Homefield Apparel—they're big—they're big supporters of the Big Ten media uh, sphere. I am not currently wearing any Homefield Apparel gear, Ryan. I don't believe uh, you are, but I know you're like me. You have more than enough of it. God, yeah, I'm looking at some of my closet right now. I think I have like four. I, I've actually was earlier today standing in front of my closet like I'm a you know like a general at war, looking at which shirt I should wear Saturday. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I am a big fan of Home Field. Uh, it is the comfiest gear that I own. It's also very stylish. Yeah, I, uh, I told the story in our podcast. I actually um, was in a bar in New Orleans for Ohio State's opening game against Indiana, uh, and ran into a, a woman wearing Home Field apparel, and we exchanged pleasantries based on that. And then saw her the very next night for LSU against Florida State <laughs> in a different bar. Um, which is very funny, but uh, yeah, man, Homefield gets noticed. It's it's wonderful stuff. It's very cool stuff. It's very comfortable stuff. Um, I love it. They have also, as I'm sure you've seen, a big, big drop coming this weekend mm -hmm. for both of, I don't know how much we can say, but the odds are it's probably going to be for both of our teams. <laughs> That's right. Uh, keep, have to keep an eye out for that. You have to keep an eye out for everything that Homefield Apparel has coming on. Like, they, out of nowhere earlier this uh Earlier this year, they just announced more Penn State stuff, and it included a crew neck that, as I mentioned on our last pod, I am going out of my way to make sure I purchase uh, when the direct deposit oh, yeah. is on Friday. Like, it's legitimately some of the best gear that I have, some of the best gear that Ryan has. If you have Homefield Apparel, you know exactly what we mean. And if you don't have Homefield Apparel, uh, you can use our promo code at RLR23 for 15% off of your first order. Again, if this is your first time, uh, purchasing something from Homefield Apparel, use the promo code RLR23 for 15% off of your first order. Thank you very much, as always, to Homefield for sponsoring both of our podcasts. And now let's get back mm -hmm. into talking a little bit of ball. And Ryan, let's move to the other side of the football. When Ohio State has the ball, I want to go back to something you said at the very beginning of this podcast, which is that you think Penn State has the best offense or best defense apologies in America. And I guess my general question is, 
How much of that do you chalk up to the fact that their schedule so far has been West Virginia, Delaware, at Illinois, Iowa, at Northwestern, UMass? And how much of that do you chalk <laughs> up to when I watch this team, I can just see that they are the best in the country? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both, right? Like the personnel is obviously elite. You know, I think at defensive end, we've seen Shop Robinson, Adisa Isaac, and Dane Denise Sutton, all those guys play very well. Um, Caleb King is a monster at corner. Uh, Abdul Carter has not quite done what I thought he would this year, right? I, I think yeah. he's been, I don't know if that's kosher to say if you guys agree no, or not, ahead. but he's kind of not really, he's not really produced the way I thought he would. I think he's a, a special player. Um, they clearly have NFL guys to me, and not all of them are even hitting yet. Um, and also the numbers back that up. And sure, like when you play an Iowa offense that <laughs> is the worst in the country, it's fair to look at it and say, well, sure, maybe the numbers are inflated. Or when you play, um, when you play a Delaware, it's easy to kind of get off the field quickly. That's all fair to say. But I think, to me, the expectation coming in was this is an elite defense with very few holes yeah. that has NFL guys all over the field. And what I've seen so far in the field is this is an elite defense with NFL guys all over the field that has very few holes. And I think even though they have not been tested yet, my expectation is that holds up. Um, also, would you mind? I did a bunch of time compiling some stats for our podcast that you may find you might be interested to hear for your listeners as well on just how good Penn State's defense is. Would you mind if I read these off and rattled them off for you? No, by all means. Penn State is second in defensive SP plus, first in defensive success rate, first in yards per play allowed, second in explosive plays allowed, second in scoring defense, tied for fifth in red zone scores per game allowed, second in points per play allowed, second in touchdowns per game allowed. Tied for ninth in turnovers forced, 11th in opponent time of possession, first in first downs per game, ninth in opponent third down conversion percentage, first in passing defense success rate, first in yards per attempt allowed, first in completion percentage allowed, second in total sacks and sack percentage, first in QBR allowed, third in rushing defensive success rate, third in yards per carry allowed, third in rushing yards per game, and sixth in tackles for loss per game. It's, um, so, it's so fascinating how a guy like Manny Diaz could rehabilitate his reputation. <laughs> just by like, just by like, Manny legitimately got the, got kicked out of his dream job, in large part because yeah. the defense just like couldn't keep pissing down its leg. And like, it's remarkable. Terry Smith heals all, man. Terry um. Smith heals <laughs> heals all. And my my general thing is that I don't think like obviously the Penn State schedule has been you know, 112th uh, out of 133 teams in college football per uh, ESPN's FPI, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to flex as hard as they have. Like, it still takes a special yep. team to flex to the extent that they have. I don't think, they have not allowed a touch, you know, this is at home. They have not allowed a touchdown at home since the second game of the season against Delaware when their running back just broke one open. I think Illinois might have had uh, a touchdown with their reserves, and I think Northwestern had one touchdown early and then was down to field goals. Like it, it, It's been a really impressive unit, and they're going up, I would say, Ryan, against an Ohio State team that it has those two guys that tackle that I think everyone would agree are not up to snuff. And then otherwise... When healthy, which is a huge asterisk to put on this game, especially at running back, with ev everyone at running back, and Emeka Ibuka, wide receiver, they have, they're as talented at the skill positions. McCord is naturally talented, and I think the interior of their offensive line is pretty talented. 
as almost as much as anyone in the country. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Um, I think that the potential for everything for Ohio State is there. I also think, despite my concerns about the tackles, what's been fascinating to me is like watching them play. You see real problems, right? Like you see Josh Simmons just looks lost at times. He's a little bit. He he gets kind of. He, people can cross his face pretty easily, and he has a holding penalty um, too often. Like he doesn't. He can't anchor. He's too weak. Um, Josh Fryer's hand placement is some of the most bizarre stuff I've ever seen in college football. The guy just has no idea what he's doing with his arms. Um, but like, you look at the numbers for Ohio State, and they're actually not really that bad. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, you know, I mean, uh, Ohio State's average ranking against Power 5 opponents they played in sack percentage is 39th. Penn State is 99th. Um, but Kyle McCord has had .04 seconds more to throw than Drew Aller. Uh, per game in those games, which is wild to me because my perception of Isaac's offense is of tackles are stinky. It's a real concern just watching them play football. But the math and the analytics, which, you know, I, of course, disavow all numbers. We should only use letters and words. Um, <laughs> the, numbers uh, are only important when they confirm my priors. That is our, that is exactly, our, that exactly. is our approach with one website in particular that has three letters in the shortened version of its name. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's the devil's work. Um, but, <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're pretty, like, the, the line has been pretty good mathematically. Like, uh, in terms of pressures allowed by the O-line, according to that site, which we will not name, uh, Ohio State's O-line has allowed one more pressure uh, than Penn State's has. Um, and if you include quarter pressures allowed by the quarterback, which are basically ones where they're not going through progressions or hitting throws fast enough, uh, they've allowed one fewer total, hmm. which is crazy. Like, it's because I don't really view it that way. Um, <laughs> based on the pass blocking grades, based on the what I see in the football field, it doesn't feel that way. But the math says Ohio State's O line is decent and about as good as Penn State's. Um, but intuitively, watching them play, I think Fryer and Simmons kind of suck and aren't prepared for this. And also, I think the players they're going against, a bendy edge rusher like Chop Robinson, like Abdul Carter when he's you know kind of in the blitzing formations, like Adisa Isaac like Denny Denny Sutton, certainly, some freakier, quick-twitch, bendy edge rushers, they have not really played guys like that. They have played teams that scheme up sacks, but they have not really played an individual edge rusher with that kind of juice. And Penn State has a few of them. And maybe you can say Javante Jean-Baptiste, Notre Dame, I don't really buy it. I watched that guy play at Ohio State for four years. I'm not buying it. I know he looks good now. I'm sorry. Um, it's, it's, you know... Lying numbers or my truthful lies is what I'm, is what I'm relying on. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, McCord also, I, I don't have the chart in front of me. I, maybe it's I, I can find it really quick here. Um, there was a chart put out today that basically compared um, pressures allowed by an offensive line and pressure to sack conversion rate. Here, I have it right here. Um, and it shows that essentially Ohio State is not really that bad in pressures allowed. They're on the right side of that line, and they're also, Kyle McCord has been very good about not letting pressures turn into sacks. Mm. Um, he still, for my money, holds the ball a little bit too long sometimes. Um, he has this, he just kind of fixates on receivers and I think does not throw with enough anticipation. But he's also been sneakily good at avoiding a, pre- avoiding a sack. Um, he's kind of in the same range as Michael Penix and Dylan Gabriel, and, and uh, actually DJ Uingalele is up there too, which is wild. Um as is Drew Aller, he's not far off. Like the, the, they, they, those are kind of guys that are not allowing pressures to turn into sacks. 
whether you want to call that. I think for Aller, it's probably some physicality questions, whether it's from court. I think he manipulates the pocket well with his legs. He's willing to take a hit uh, and will throw the ball out late. That stuff's interesting to me because it's not what I see on the field. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the numbers do not line up with what I'm seeing. I, I, I'm very conflicted on how to interpret that. And by the way, just if you're curious, uh, Jalen Milrow, uh, is almost in the bottom left of that chart. Um, <laughs> and, and his offense lines allowed pressure rate and his pressure to sack rate. That guy loves getting hit. It's his favorite thing. Jalen Milrow is so cool, man. Like, I, I love him. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I, I think that's the thing that makes me so interested about Ohio State's talent. Because like, you read those numbers, and I'm like, yeah, that can't be right. Like, I've seen yeah. Simmons. I've seen Fryer. I've seen them get crossed up like you mentioned I, it feels like McCord has gotten better about not holding on to the ball but it does still kind of feel like he can be a little bit prone to holding on to the ball locking in on someone not getting it out mm-hmm. quickly enough and his accuracy su- suffers as a result but the thing that just fascinates me about this Ohio State offense is that even though the floor is lower than ever like because it has Marvin Harrison because it has a Mecca because Cade Stover is good at catching the football and like running yeah, in a straight line it. and then falling down yeah. because <laughs> he the, loves doing that. He, yeah. It's his, fa- it's his favorite <laughs> thing to do other than uh, be labeled a good blocker because he's a big burly white guy. Uh, yeah. He, because, yeah. You ever heard that he farm? You might've heard this. Yeah. Far- <laughs> I, I, I was actually thinking of a nickname for him the other day and I landed on farmer Gronk. We'll see if that can catch on. Oh, Bill, I am sending my agents to Columbus after you for that one. <laughs> I, I thought your agent just lives in Columbus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And then because of their talent at running back, which, you know, we'll see if Ryan Day literally did just give his give guys a week off last week to get right for this, but who knows? Their ceiling is still incredibly... Like, you, you mentioned that last drive against Notre Dame, and... Phew. All game, Notre Dame got after them and made them uncomfortable. And then I think you saw on that last drive when Notre Dame decided we're going to rush four, we're going to place a premium on not letting them get big plays down the field, and they gave McCord time, they gave the receivers time, and they let Ohio State get into a rhythm, they still have a ceiling that is capable of killing yeah, 100%. And I wish I had the numbers pulled up from that game. Um, I have it somewhere, but as I recall correctly, Kyle McCord threw for something like 138 yards and two touchdowns on third and fourth downs in that game. Jesus. Um, like, was just not really doing much on standard downs. And then when the pressure was on, absolutely killed teams. Um, finding, like, Xavier Johnson up, up the seam, finding Kate Stover, you know, hitting a mecca on that strike down to the goal line. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of big plays, and you know, it sounds weird because as good as receiving core is, like they even had quite a few. They had like five big drops last week, which is crazy. It was two for Julian Fleming and three for Marvin Harrison. To me, knowing those guys' history, I assume it's probably not repeated, but it is something I'm keeping an eye on. Um, the ceiling is tremendous, and it's the question is, can anyone in college football actually cover Marvin Harrison Jr.? And I think we've seen from the number of NFL guys he's gone against, whether that's at Michigan or Georgia or Penn State. Probably not, right? He had, what, 183 yards against Penn State last year? Every, every catch uh, he had it, last year went for a first down. That's nuts. Yeah. he. I mean, he's just a like, – he, he might be – look, what Jamar Chase did was special in the context of that offense, 
I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably the best receiver prospect since Calvin Johnson to come out of the draft yeah. uh, when he goes out. Um, that's a guy that just changes the nature of a game, right? It's, it's a Brock Bowers kind of player um, or, or something like that. It's, it's a special player that just changes the entire makeup of an offense. Yeah, I do think that the potential to hit explosives, and I didn't even mention the rushing game, right? Like I think Trey Henderson is a frustrating back at times. He can be relatively inefficient. He doesn't have a great feel for a zone run, especially those boundary stretch runs they do are horrifyingly inefficient. But like, if you can get Trey into the second level with your blocking, he is as explosive as anybody, right? He just finds a seam and goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a huge one against Notre Dame to change the game. Um, there, were, there are guys like that on this team that just have the individual talent to flip a game by themselves. Um, and, and I do think... Ohio State should be one prioritizing those players. Obviously, goes without saying there should be a million targets for Marvin Harrison. But also, there are things they can do in offense to avoid that pressure from Penn State. You know, they were so great in 2018 and 2019, 2017 a bit as well, with some of like their mesh crossing routes, with some quick slant plays. Like when they had, especially in 17 and 18, O lines that were not great pass blocking units, they got the ball out quickly because they knew they had great playmakers who could do something with it in their hands. And they have guys like that even better right now. And we have not seen a ton of that. They started to implement some of that um, kind of slant concept, quick slants um, against Purdue. That Unfortunately, Fleming dropped one that might have been a touchdown. Uh, he had just green grass to run. But, you know, um, that's something we know they have in their back pocket. We've seen before and makes a lot of sense to break out in this game, given how aggressive Manny, D- Manny Diaz defense is and how they like to blitz and get pressure that makes a lot of sense to me to see. But even if that doesn't happen, I do trust McCord to be willing to take a hit and to get a ball downfield tomorrow who can make plays in a way no one can. Uh, and that's just something that, even if Ohio State goes down 10 points in the third quarter mm-hmm. or something, they're not out of the game because they have that guy, right? Like, we've seen them in a lot of games just get quick flurries of offense. They did against Penn State last year yeah. to a certain extent. Yeah, Like, they can just score 30 points in 13 minutes before you blink. And it's just, it's just crazy to watch them pile it on like that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's something where I am concerned, very obviously very concerned about Penn State's defense and the pressure because a quarterback, a young quarterback, gets hit, gets rattled. How does he respond to that? But McCord has looked pretty comfortable taking a hit. Mm-hmm. And they've also done some things in the run game. I, I know I've been ranting for a minute here, so I can, I can pause to let you talk, but... Uh, on the running game as well, like they've done some things last week that kind of perked my ears up a bit, makes me wonder if they're looking at a change in the running game concepts for Penn State as well, which can help them stay on schedule more and further mitigate those issues. Yeah, one, one thing that I was going to mention is that so much of the discourse around last year's Penn State-Ohio State game was around JTT and the way that he was able to take over that game. It was on Harrison and his big game. What I think people tend to forget about that game is that nine and a half minutes left, Katron Allen runs in to cap off a 13-play, 75-yard drive, 554, make it 21-16 Penn State in the fourth quarter. And I, I think Gus Johnson, uh, because it was a good game and he was therefore caring about what happened in front of him, said something about, like, you can just feel it. You could feel something special happening. And... While everyone talks about those receivers, the next play was a three-play, 75-yard drive that had receptions by Harrison and Egbuka. But the touchdown run was 41 yards by Travion Henderson that broke the game open, 
broke Penn State's back, broke their spirits a little bit. I think the next drive uh, in that after that was the one where I think it was one of the ones where um, JTT just kind of imposed himself. Yeah, Sack Sean Clifford. Uh, picked up by Ohio State, Stover touchdown on the very next play, and that's kind of what ended that football game. So even when Penn State has Harrison, Egbuka, Fleming, Stover, etc., all figured out, you then have to worry about they have guys in the backfield who can break this game open a little bit. Again, uh, missed out on last week's game against Purdue. Uh, what was it, Ryan? Henderson missed out. Dallin, was it Dallin Hayden who also missed out? And then someone. Uh, last week it, it was Mayan, Mayan and Trey that were out, uh, and and Chip as well. So basically the t- well, Chip, Chip, Chip started hurt. the game and that got hit. Early. Yeah. Yes, then got hurt. So basically Dallin Hayden took over that game, and frankly looked like the best running back Ohio State's had all year in terms of efficiency. Um, he also did the same thing last year against Maryland. He was awesome against them. Like, um, that has actually been a big point of discussion in Ohio State circles this week is what do Chip or Maya do better than Dallin? And I don't know the answer. And uh, even, like, Trey, is it worth some of Trey's inefficiency in a game where Penn State's defense is so good and Penn State's offense likes to hold the football? Wouldn't you rather stay ahead of the chains with Dallin Hayden than you would try to hit a big play with Chip? Or, sorry, with Trey. Um that's been a big point of conversation, and I kind of come out on the Dallin Hayden side. I'd like to see a little more Dallin Hayden, personally. Yeah. Um, they were talking about redshirting him this year, which is insane to me. Um, yeah, I mean, all four of those guys could play. Mayan's been one of the preferred goal-down backs. Um, you know, Chip has been kind of their hammer. Uh, he's just a physical, physical player. He's a little more burst than you'd expect. Uh, Dallin seems to just run the offense the way it's supposed to be run. It looks beautiful in gap run scheme which they finally ran a lot more of last week. I can get into that. And Trey, uh, Trey's your explosives guy, right? Trey just can hit a home run at any given moment. You won't know when it will happen. Um, but that, that gap thing is a big part of this, too. They, they had been, prior to Purdue, I think only 27% of their rushing plays have been gap run scheme, which is about 13% below the national average. And this past week, they ran about 50-50 gap and zone, um, which has been fantastic because they just seem to block the gap schemes better. And... Obviously, it's a big ask to ask your offensive line to run something they haven't done a ton this season against a defense as good and as physical as Penn State's. But I think Ohio State has to lean more on that on that gap stuff. The gap stuff has to use more Dallin Hayden, um, and has to also stick to the quarterback run things we saw from both Kyle McCord and Devin Brown against Purdue, um, because it's been a huge changer to the way that kind of defense is focused on them. Um, and I think that should be Kyle McCord running it and not Devin Brown which uh, is based on, you know, I think they ran Devin Brown more last week because they don't get yeah. Kyle McCord hurt against Purdue. But against Penn State, it makes no sense to, to run Brown because there's not much difference in running ability. And McCord, obviously, when you bring Brown into the game, you're telegraphing that you're going to run more often than not, right? And McCord does not have that problem. Um, I, would, if I think if Ohio State runs more of its gap run scheme and more Q run, it's going to have a much more effective rushing attack than we've seen from them all season. And they've frankly been dismal all season, right? They've been 100th in rushing success rate. Um, it's bad. So they have to do something like they did last week or more, you know, a more extreme version of it even to have success in the rushing game against an elite Penn State rush defense. Yeah, but my so my general stance on this game when I think of Ohio State's offense against Penn State's defense is that I don't think it would be wise for Ohio State to try and play what I'd basically say a horizontal game. 
I don't think trying these yeah. like long developing run plays where you're running off tackle is a good idea. I don't think running a bunch of screens. I don't think running, uh, you know, a bunch of just short passes designed to get the ball out quickly is an especially great idea because that I do think that feeds into Penn State's defense a bit. I think that if you're giving Penn State's defense a chance to rally and attack, you're not going to have an especially good time. So I think they need to essentially try to attack Penn State, particularly down the field with these receivers. And Marvin Harrison, Julian Flemia, Mecca Ibuka, Xavier Johnson, these freaks of nature that Ohio State has who are freshmen and underclassmen, Kate Sober. Is there like is there anything about the passing attack that scares you, concerns you, uh, you know, you look at Penn State secondary and go like, oh, Kalen King, Johnny Dixon are a good cornerback. Dude. Like anything at all that make, that would make you think this passing game is going to be anything other than excellent again down the field against the Nittany Lion defense? Hmm. I think perhaps just some of this, like McCord has thrown some footballs late in a way where the defenses they play, the Notre Dame's defense is very good, right? But McCord just sees some guys come open a little later than you want him to, and he tends to wait for a guy to actually be open to throw the football as opposed to throwing someone open. Um, not always, but a little too often to make me comfortable. And I think the way Penn State's secondary plays and has played historically the last several years, they can erase that, right? They can get interception off yeah. that. They can bait you into something on that. So I would like to see him be quicker on the trigger throwing the football um, and that's something where I think he could get punished if he's if he's leaning into that nervousness um, or, or that kind of uh, holding on to the football. It could punish him both in Penn State's pass rush and in Penn State's secondary. Um, that is my biggest concern is not anything about Ohio State's receivers or personnel or ability to get open. I, I do respect Penn State's secondary a ton, but these are the best or second-best receivers in college football, and having people like that just changes the outlook of what um, – what the offense is, right? And and I think that's something where if McCord is doing his job and not hesitating, I think the passing attack can be elite even against secondary as good as Penn State's. Yeah, there was a there was this video. Uh, the game hasn't started yet, so Joel Klatt is still acting like someone who like still reminding people that he knows football and not just like pushing narratives uh -huh. uh, for three hours. Uh, and he put out a video basically showing how like last year's game one way that ohio state was able to kill penn state was they get up to the line of scrimmage marvin harrison and cj stroud both see where the blitz is coming they see where penn state's defense is going to be leaving a little bit of space snap it and just throw right to that space to get the ball to harrison he's able to take it for you know a 10 12 15 yard game whatever it is. has mccord in your estimation does it seem like he has you know to whatever extent that we can say this have that grasp of the offense down where like pre-snap he's going up there he's seeing he's recognizing every single thing that the defense was doing is he one of those guys who like it it's maybe a quarter of a second slower for him than it was for someone like cj and that quarter of a second could be a problem in a game like this yeah i think that's a, a great question to ask and i don't think that he does frankly like, I, I think there was a play against penn state or sorry against Notre dame where they were on a third down and they ran some of their short yardage rushing game bullshit, which never works. Excuse my language. Uh, and uh, they had a one-on-one -on -one matchup outside with Marvin Harrison Jr., which, frankly, if you ever get that with just a corner and press man on Marvin Harrison Jr., 
and you don't throw it to him, you are you should be locked up, I think. Um, <laughs> and there were questions at the Ohio State beat as to whether McCord had the option to make that check and call that play. And Ryan Day answered that he does have that, and he didn't call it, and they talked about it after the game. So it's not something we've seen as an issue as much since then. Uh, it hasn't just come up very often. But McCord does have the authority to make those checks and just didn't do it in that game, which is kind of concerning. That's also, that was game three for him. Um, and he, that was really his second, sorry, it was game four, it was game four but it was his f- second full-time start where he was not sharing the ball with Devin Brown. Yeah. Um, I think he's gotten a much better command of the offense week over week. He looks more comfortable. He seems to be seeing the field better. Uh, I think he actually played a very good game last week that would have looked a lot better but not for those five drops that I mentioned on the statistics. Um, that is something where I'm nervous about it because he didn't miss that in the past. But I think as you see a young quarterback progress through that, he, he did learn from it and I think should have the ability to do that and make those calls this week. I But that's hoping, right? That's projecting. Yeah. We, have, we don't know it. Yeah. So let's start looking into... Um, let, let, let's start looking into the stuff that's going to decide this game. And I, we want, want to talk about X factors. On our pod, I pointed out penalties because I think penalties are going to be a fascinating thing to track in this game. The two stats that I read is that in terms of penalties per game, Ohio State commits 6.8 penalties per game, which is 91st nationally. Penn State commits 4.8 penalties per game, which is 26th nationally. But yards per penalty, Ohio State 7.3, that is 8th nationally. Penn State 9.4, which is 102nd nationally. When Penn State makes those mistakes, they tend to be huge boosts to the other team. And I think that even a lesser version of Ohio State, like I, we could say Ohio State's great, Ohio State is whatever, whatever, whatever. I think they're a great team. I also think they're probably not as great as they have been over the last year or two. They're still the bad guy in the movie. You need to cut right. off their head and you need to not give them a chance to do anything because they will punish you for that. And I think... If Penn State gets into a spot where it's third and nine, they can get off of the field, and you know someone just gets a little too riled up and commits a ridiculous 15-yard penalty, unsportsmanlike call, something like that, that's changing the like. Ohio State will punish you for that. I think as long as Penn State can avoid those, their chances of winning this game shoots up because they're not the kind of team that commits, you know the dumb hands to the face penalty, the dumb this, the dumb, like the little sorts of things. That's what I am looking at. What are you looking at in terms of a player, a matchup, uh, a single statistic, st- statistic that you found? Anything, Ryan? Yeah, ironically, uh, well, I want to talk about your penalty thing very quickly here because uh, I was actually worried on the opposite end mm. because Ohio State commits so many of those dumb little penalties. Yeah. Like not the big backbreakers. They haven't had too many of those. They had a couple... They had, like, a face mask and a DPI here and there, but, like, nothing serious at all. Uh, and it averages out almost even. Penn State averages 45 yards of penalties per game against FBS teams. Ohio State is 49.6 per game mm-hmm. against FBS teams. Almost even, but a lot of Ohio State's con- – they've had a couple of delay of games. Um, Josh Simmons loves the false start. Um, <laughs> they've had uh, a couple of illegal procedures. Uh, this, I talked about special teams and how undisciplined and penalty-ridden they are. Um, Ohio State – 
does not commit backbreakers the way Penn State, like you, you mentioned, may in those, those bigger penalties, but they are prone to commit a stupid procedural penalty to put themselves behind the chain, to shoot mm-hmm. themselves in the foot in a way that's very annoying. So I'm curious to watch that play out of which one manifests more, um, a backbreaker for Penn State or a little one here and there adding up from Ohio State. Kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think mine comes on special teams. Um, I've talked about how bad Ohio special teams are. Um, 75th in net punt return yardage on the season, uh, tied for 126th with the most punt returns of 20 plus yards allowed. Um, that is, they've allowed, it's not many, right? There's not a ton of separation yeah. this early in the season. They've only allowed three, but Penn State has produced three, including two big ones last weekend, uh, and that's tied for six in the country and most, most explosive punt returns produced. Um, I think a special teams error from Ohio State could cost them the game. And you heard my rant on Parker Fleming. You know my feelings on him. I think they are very likely to produce that, which is why I am hoping there's a directive from above, whether it is from the ghost of Woody Hayes or from Ryan Day, who knows. Um, just punt the goddamn ball out of bounds. Like, I do not want them punting to Daquan Hardy or Caleb Saunders, whoever's back there. Um, punt the ball out of bounds. Get very high for a fair catch. Do whatever you have to do to not give Penn State a chance for good returns against your shoddy punt return coverage. They're pretty good on kickoffs. They are terrible on punt returns and punting as a concept. Uh, they cannot do it well. Uh, Jim Trestle, I'm sure, is rolling somewhere. I, I, I was um, just about but, to say, like, what are the odds that like Tress, Trestle shows up at the skull session on Saturday, just grabs the mic and says, pump the football out of bounds? Yeah, God, I hope so. I really do hope so. <laughs> Uh, someone needs to grab Ryan Day and Parker Flynn by the shoulders and just tell them, grab them by the ear, hit them in the face, whatever you got to do, just punt the ball out of bounds. Yeah, that is the, the biggest area of concern for me because, uh, you know, I think this is a very tight football game. Right? Yeah. Almost every model I follow has, I think there's one outlier. I want to say that um, college football nerds this is a big Penn State win, which is, uh, you know, I don't want to get into those guys. Um, but <laughs> I, You know what? I think uh, in saying their names, you gave all of your thoughts on what they are. Mm-hmm. That's right. But uh, yeah, uh, Bill, Bill Conway, I think, but, but, has it something like 26, 22, uh, 20. Yeah, I actually had them all pulled up. Um, uh, Parker, so Parker, I, I can, good can, Parker Fleming uh, just put out uh, his projection 26.2 for Ohio State, 24.98 for Penn State. Okay, so very tight. Yeah, yeah. that's SP Plus is at 28, 22, Ohio yeah. State. FEI has a 29, 22, Ohio State. TSI, which is the Tyler Shoemaker Index. Um, I'm not a big gambling guy, but my understanding, he's one of the best gambling guys in the country. Um, he has it 27-26 Ohio State, and then CFB Nerds at 27-17 Penn State. Jesus. So, other than that, CFB Nerds won. Every model I've seen is a one-score game that is going to be flipped on, to me, it's like a one- or two-play game, right? A couple errors here and, here and there flip this game. It's, it's almost like a defensive version of what we just saw from Washington, Oregon, right? These are two very evenly matched teams yeah. who play similar football and something's going to shift it. And, you know, I think special teams could be that. I think a defensive score for Penn State or a big turnover could be something for Penn State. I think an explosive for Ohio State could be that because uh, I don't think Penn State can match that. Um, I think that's something where I'm looking at special teams because of my fixation on Parker Fleming. Again, the bad ones, uh, errors as a person, really as a human being more than a coach. Yeah, um, I, I don't think I don't think people listening to I mean the, the the high street freaks side of it will. I don't think the Penn State people understand how sinister Capital University is. 
Oh my god. It is basically a degree mill for the worst lawyers in Ohio. Um, <laughs> sorry if we have any listeners that went to Capitol, but their whole thing is just like, hey, look, you pay us 60 grand a year and you'll technically get a law degree. Good luck after that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh no. That's kind of their whole We have a Piata next to our campus. We're so cultured. <laughs> God, Piata is good. Did you get that? They have Piata on State College or PA at all? They, they, I, not that I know of, but ever since I've moved here, I've spent a lot of money at Piata. Yes. Yeah. For those who don't Our know, buddy uh, Max Le- Piata, <laughs> Piata is basically Chipotle, but with Italian food. It's good. Yeah, there's a really funny tweet from our buddy uh, Max Littman, who is on, the, is on uh, my website, Meet at Midfield, uh, where he says, oh, a coworker who's going to Columbus for the first time asked me for lunch racks. And I'm thinking, hmm, do you want Chipotle, Italian Chipotle, Korean Chipotle, Mediterranean Chipotle? <laughs> Columbus is the world's capital of bowl-based Bowls. restaurants. Yes. If, if you're a pig who loves slop, you'll love Columbus, Ohio. Um. <laughs> Why do you think I moved here? I actually, I'll, yeah, I'll, tell, you, yeah. I'll tell you this, brother. I got Baby Bop for uh, dinner the other day. Boy, that place Oh, always. it's good. Gets the job done. It's good. It's an uh, interesting fact. I promise I'll stop, you know, getting off topic in a second. But uh, Columbus is actually, like, people who from Penn State may not know this, it's like the national testing ground yeah. for chain restaurants. Yeah. It is like the most demographically representative place of America, of any yeah. large city. So every place is always testing out new promotions, new items. Um, there's chain restaurant concepts are constantly tested out there. Yeah. Like you'll see some place open. You're like, damn, this has weirdly good marketing for a one-off restaurant. And you're like, oh, well, they're, they have like, you know, um, they have a, a private equity funding or plan to launch 19 more of these in the next mm-hmm. two years. Uh, happens all the time. Yeah, yeah anyway. I, I, um, I actually live very close uh, to this company where their entire thing is they pay you to come in and taste things that restaurants want to potentially put on their menu. And they just, they're like you said, it's such a, a demographically diverse place that they put it here and you get like 30 bucks to try you know, hmm. like four cookies or something and give your thoughts on it. Sounds like an off-season premium episode to me for you and I. Was, I, 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 I <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the, the final X fact, I didn't mention this on our pod, but it's something that I've been sitting on and thinking about, is, Ryan, what is the most insane statistic about Drew Aller's season as you are researching it? Ooh. Um, he is... Not very accurate, but doesn't throw any interceptions. It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of, I don't know, he's kind of the anti-Will Levis. Like, Will Levis was like very high every year in completion percentage, but also, like, top of the charts in interceptions. Drew Aller is, like, an average quarterback completion percentage, and but also just not throw any picks. I think he has zero on the season, right? Yes, he has um, yet to throw an interception this season, and has now gotten to the point where it's like, I'm worried about it now being a detriment. <laughs> That he hasn't thrown he's one. He's due, baby. It's not even that he's due. It's just like, I don't know what happens to Drew Aller. What happens with how Mike Yurcich calls a game. What happens with how James Franklin wants them to approach a game. If he throws an interception. And like, the, it, like it's tilted from, this is such a good thing to like, oh no, the first time he does that is going to be a problem. And if he does that against Ohio State, like I, I, I'm just fascinated in how he responds to that. But... The the, yeah. mu- the the much easier thing is he just doesn't throw one, and I don't have to worry about this. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's let's get to something I think we're going to agree on, and that's our predictions for this football game. Uh, Ryan, what's your score prediction? 
uh, what, how do you think this kind of plays out and uh, how, ups- how, how much fun will I have listening to Sports Talk Radio in Columbus, Ohio on Monday? Oh, boy. Um, that, is, that last one's a hard question to answer. I don't think I've ever had fun listening to Sports Talk Radio in Columbus. Um, <laughs> uh, right now, uh, the, the line is four and a half, Ohio State's the consensus line. Excuse me, for what I've seen, and the over/under is forty-five and a half. It's moved in Penn State's favor a little bit yeah. um, over the, the course of the last week. I, um, it actually kind of lined up exactly how I predicted. I had Ohio State winning twenty-four twenty um, in a game where I think they hit one or two offensive explosives, maybe a big rushing play uh, for thirty or forty yards, and a big Marvin Harrison touchdown where he just beat somebody badly, um, and. I think that's enough to get the win. Um, I do think this is such a tight game that I'm I'm nervous about. But I just keep looking at that James Franklin 1-11 on the road at Penn State against ranked teams and just don't think that even Ryan Day's inherent loserness in his soul can, can overcome Franklin um, <laughs> in that regard. And, yeah, to, to, I think it's a tight ball game back and forth. I think a good defensive battle. I think Penn State probably scores on a short field at least once. Um, I think that the game, to me, will turn on James Franklin settling for a field goal when he should go for a touchdown, and Ohio State kind of takes the lead and doesn't look back after that. Yeah, I I have it as Ohio State 20-14, to 14, uh, which, you know, six points sounds like a lot for this, but the way I basically have it laid out, both teams score two touchdowns, and Ohio State is just in position to bang in a couple of fields. Because I think even though uh, their, their special teams coordinator under the jail, uh, their kicker is a good kicker, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty solid. Yeah. Um, I should – sorry, I, I don't want to interrupt yours too late into it, so I didn't want to say uh, just for fun. My 20 points for Penn State uh, comes off of one touchdown, the two-point conversion, one regular touchdown, an extra point, a field goal, and a safety. Uh, that is my that is my score. Oh, God, that would be so State. cool. Uh, but yeah, I, I sorry. I, keep going. Yeah. I, I just think that in a game this tight, Ohio State has the game breaker. They have if Penn State gets bogged down in the mud, they're kind of just gonna have to keep doing what they do to try and get out of it. And if Ohio State gets bogged down in the mud, they could say, "All right, Kyle, Marvin's down there somewhere, and Marvin's going to catch the football because Marvin catches the football." And that, that's just the one thing. When I, even when I look at, like, Penn State should be able to rush the passer and get to McCord. Penn State should be able to do a decent job bottling up Ohio State's running game. Penn State should be able to move the ball a bit on Ohio State's defense. I just don't think they have the one thing, and I hope I'm wrong about this, that is able to the, the get-out-of-jail-free card, so to say. But, like, it, it, it's very funny because you look at the four outcomes for a football game. Either team wins by wins big, one team wins a close game. There are ways where I could see any of those happening. Weirdly enough, like if Penn State is able to just grind Ohio State to dust, never let the offense get into a rhythm, and they win something like, you know, twenty-eight to ten, I could see that. If Ohio State, if Penn State's offense just gets bogged down in the mud, Ohio State is able to just lean on them, hit those explosives, the crowd gets into it, and it ends 28-10. I could see that. A close game in either direction, I could see that. Like, th- these are the games that we watch college football for, right? And, like, I, like mm-hmm. I, just the spectacle of it all, I hope I'm able to take a second man and just, like, take it all in. 
yeah, I couldn't agree more. I um, I mean, we don't get enough games like this. You maybe get a dozen a year if you're lucky of games of two teams of this caliber going against each other. Um, and I think this is certainly one of them. It, it feels like, um, you know, it feels like it, it, it's the same caliber we saw against Oregon, Washington, or, yeah. or maybe even a little better than Texas, Bama, right? It's, it's that kind of quality of game. It's a, it's a truly massive one. Um, I think the Big Ten is so up in the air. I think Michigan's, to me, has been the best or second best team in the country to date. Yeah. Uh, but certainly the way they want to play football kind of invites, I think, tight games. And either of these teams could beat Michigan, and Michigan could beat either of these teams, right? And they could beat each other. Mm-hmm. It's just like the, the, the 11-1 split with the, um, the Big Ten West <laughs> opponents to sign of the game has, uh, has been talked about, I'm sure, on both of uh, our uh, fan bases uh, a wait, lot. I'm interrupting you right now. Have you also been really pissed off at the people who were doing, uh, Iowa, they're, all they got to do is get to Indianapolis and they'll have one loss and be one game. Has that also, like, driven you up a goddamn wall? Yeah, come on. They're not making the goddamn playoff, dude. Let's be, let's be adults about this. One, it's, they have the worst offense in America that's going to catch up to them at some point. And two, if they get on the field with one of these three big boys, they are going to be burped like a baby. Like, it's going to be mm-hmm. bad. We see it every time. Yeah. Like, we already saw them play Penn State this year and lose 31 nothing. We saw what Michigan did to them last year. Or they said play Purdue last year, I guess. But, but uh, they, I mean, they played Ohio State last year in the regular season and got whooped. Like, they are just constitutionally incapable of winning those games mm-hmm. because of the nepotism hire of Brian Ferentz. Right. And until they let him go, they will always do this. However... I have the opinion that Iowa should run the triple. Yes. And if they did so, they would be a contender to beat anybody in the league. Correct. Because they rock. If, if teams that run the triple rock. You should hire, I don't know, some Troy Calhoun disciple and, and take football seriously. Yes. But uh, Kirk Ferentz doesn't want to do that. He wants to get jobs for his family. He's a, a Youngstown-style individual. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he should have a job in the UAW or the Teamsters instead of Iowa football. Um, <laughs> Kirk is 100% you know. anti-U. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, he is. I'm not, but but yeah. I recognize a hustle when I see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm from Pittsburgh, baby. What do you want from me? That's um, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. Um, I hate the Iowa talk. But look, like you said, this is an amazing game. I'm so excited to watch these two teams play. It's such a competitive football game with just two, I think, really, really great teams this year. And I'm certainly not the first person to say this. It sucks that we don't have the 12-team playoff yet. Uh, this is the perfect year for it. I yeah. feel like there are eight or nine teams, maybe even 10 or 11, that could beat each other on the right game. Uh, and it'd be great to see them all play this year. But what do you got to do? Bull, bull execs got to get their money. That's right. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I hope at some point I'm able to take a second and, like, appreciate how cool this game is. Appreciate the fact that, like, this is not going to – we have another decade plus of watching – Kalen King and Marvin Harrison play football against one another. Another decade mm-hmm. plus of Johnny Dixon and Emeka Ibuka playing football against one another. Of uh, Abdul Carter tackle, trying to tackle Travion Henderson. Of like all these pros on both of these teams going up against pros on the other team. Like it, it's just so cool. It's a game that I've been looking like I'm dreading, but I'm looking forward to. It's like I the spectacle is going to be all these things are going to be fantastic. Uh, I can't wait for it. Ryan, I know you can't wait for it. Uh, For our audience, please let the people know where they can find you. 
Yeah, yeah. I am on Twitter at, at B1G underscore Ryan. Uh, my website is meet at midfield.com. That's M-E-E-T, not meet in the livestock way. Um, <laughs> and uh, we did put together an offer for you guys. Uh, listening here, we, we have some great Penn State fans on the board already. But I know you've been on there. Um, we would love to have more of you guys. Um, we use the code TUDDIES, the way you guys spell it, T-U-D-D-I-E-S, uh, for 25% off your, your first purchase of membership. Uh, that's monthly, semi-annual, or annual. Um, it is a really awesome board. It's full of a lot of Big Ten fans because just our background, ours being myself and my, my co-owner, Patrick Mayhorn, um, a lot of Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Indiana, for some reason, fans. Um, a lot of other fans around the country. We have some great guys from Georgia and Pitt and Tennessee. It's a re- it's a national college football board that focuses on like just games like this. You know, rivalry, the juice, like the, this excitement around conference title races from the P five down to the G five. Um, it is a really fun time. I am of the opinion that we have the best message board in college football. Uh, we truly do love it. Um, we have a podcast as well. Uh, Flipping the Field is my national college football podcast. And High Street Freaks, where some people are listening to this right now, is our Ohio State podcast. Uh, if you want an enemy look at Ohio State throughout the season, just to hear me go crazy about Parker Fleming and our strength coach, Mick Marotti, and some of the other people, uh, that's the place to listen to that. Um, it's a great time. Come on down. We'd love to have you. Again, it's meetatmidfield.com with the code TUDDIES, T-U-D-D-I-E-S. And my Twitter handle is B1G underscore Ryan. Yes. And, and, uh, for, and, and ben, yeah, could you do it for our listeners as well, for yourself? Yeah. Uh, on, on Twitter at uh, Bill DeFilippo. Don't worry about spelling that correctly. Nobody does. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm around. Uh, we're... I, I will just simply now do our normal sign-off because that's where I get into all this stuff for Roar Lions Roar. If you're a listener of Roar Lions Roar, you know what's coming. If you're a listener of High Street Freaks, thank you uh, to both of you for, or anyone else. If you are, for some reason, like a Minnesota fan who had something nothing to do today and decided to listen to Ryan and I talk about this game, like, thanks, <laughs> I guess. I hope you I hope you guys win this weekend and end all of the Iowa... I hope go- you found joy. Yeah, yeah I ho- and end all of the Iowa going to the playoff talk. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening uh, to Roar Lions Roar. Make sure you subscribe wherever you go uh, and get your podcast. If you're using Apple Podcasts, please go use a five-star review. If you're using uh, Spotify, please leave five stars over there. They have that new Q&A feature. Please use that. Send in questions. We'll try and answer them to the best of our ability on the podcast. Uh, I don't know if this is going up on YouTube, but if it is, uh, regardless, make sure you're uh, over on Roar Lions, Roar, our YouTube channel. Hop into the comments. Talk about ball down there with folks. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at RLR blog. And one more time, thank you to Home Field Apparel for sponsoring both of our podcasts. If you are a listener for and want to uh, purchase something there for the first time, RLR23 for 15% off of your first order. Thank you, Ryan, again for joining, and thank you very much for listening. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.